Thanks for joining us today at the Bread of Life. Our ministry is brought to you by the International Mission Church Partnership Evangelism and its Missions Fellowship in Boise, Idaho, the Bread of Life. It's our purpose to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, personal discipleship, and the planning of new churches around the world. God is blessing and multiplying this work. If you'd like to learn more, please go to traincpe.org, traincpe.org, or breadoflifeboise.org. Now today, we continue a study into the seven last words of the Lord Jesus on the cross, and we're approaching the second to the last thing that Jesus said. As we do, I encourage you to listen carefully to the words, and when they are repeated, you will know that this is a secret of understanding what is being said. Here is a word in John chapter 19, verse 28, that you need to draw a circle around. It is the word accomplished. The verse reads, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Accomplished. That word will help us understand the declaration Jesus makes after he says, I thirst. When the job is done, you realize how thirsty you are. You go and you drink in because you've completed your task and your job. And in a sense, we might see here that the Lord Jesus is drinking in the relief of all the labors that he's experienced and all the suffering that he's endured. What we could say is because Jesus took on the work that left him thirsty with the suffering for our sins, we may, as a result, receive the gift of everlasting water and drink it in and never thirst again. But that said, I think the Lord Jesus is addressing in this moment a very real physical impact of suffering on the cross for six hours. When he went to the cross, he was offered vinegar or sour wine with gall that was mixed in it to dull the pain and dull his experience, and he wouldn't take it. He was willing to suffer and experience all the pain that was coming upon him, and he didn't want his wits dulled by what was given to him. But now, he needs something to drink because he has something to do still. He has something that he's going to cry out, and before he cries out, he has to bring moisture into his mouth and into his throat and into his voice box. Matthew and Mark and Luke all tell us that just before the Lord Jesus died, he cried out with a loud voice. Now that's kind of interesting. If you understand the ministry of the Lord Jesus, you'll see many times that he's preaching through great multitudes, thousands of people. He had to have tremendous control. The Lord Jesus spoke to thousands of people in the amphitheater, people surrounding him, without any help or assistance or amplification, but the power of his voice. He had to have a powerful voice when he taught. We don't read that he shouted when he preached. He just had command over his voice. But now they say he gave out a loud cry. This is even beyond the projection of his voice when he's preaching to thousands of people. A loud cry before that moment, for that loud cry to go out, he he needed a drink so he could speak as loudly and plainly as possible the concluding words of his work that he had been engaged in on the cross. So that drink of sour wine is given to him. And the Lord now has two more things to say. So here's the second one. He says, it is finished. It is finished. What does that mean? What could that stand for? We could understand that in the sense that when you come to the end of some kind of difficult challenge, you've finished and you've gone through the passage of that labor and work. You know, it used to be that people, 
paid off their mortgage and they spent a lot of time working and laboring to pay off the mortgage in their home and when they finally paid off the mortgage in their home there was a deed or title that was given and they took that old mortgage statement they had and they brought their friends all over and they set it on fire and they all celebrated that they had paid off their mortgage and it was done. And nowadays, you know, you have a child and the child goes through a school and he finishes all of his classes and he comes to the end of the 12th year and when he's finished the course of their education, or she's finished the course, you, you have a big graduation party because they've finished. And oftentimes you're actually not celebrating that they've completed their work with any proficiency. Sometimes they got by by the skin of their teeth, but you celebrate, it's done. It's for parents you celebrate. I, I remember we had uh, one of our children in particular. You know, the rule here is if you miss something like two weeks of school, after that, you can't go to school anymore. That's all that you can have missed. And, and then you have to repeat over again and... This child had the habit of taking it down to the last day always. So the last two months of school, it was everything to get them to school so that they didn't have to repeat it. We had to get them out of the house. You had to wake them up in the morning, take them. And it was just, so when it was done and they finally graduated, there was a great relief. It's finished. <laughs> you know, she's graduated. We don't have to drag her out of bed and take her to school and make sure she goes to bed early enough. And now yeah, it's a human response. It makes sense. That the Lord Jesus might be saying, in a sense, and celebrating, I'm done. The labor is over. The work is done. The life with no place to lay my head. The sorrows and the burdens and the fatiguing travel throughout the land. My time here on earth is over. My time of enduring and sharing in the sorrows of this age is over. I'm done with my assignment. It's finished. It would be an entirely human and appropriate response. But I think that is a limited understanding of what these words are saying. The truth is that what the Lord is saying here is encompassing a work that is so deep and so profound and so wonderful that will never come to an end of grasping what he is saying when he says, to tell us die, it is finished. It's too crammed and it's too wonderful, but we'll begin here. We'll go back to verse 28. Remember I told you to circle the word accomplished in verse 28? Well, the word it is finished is the exact same word. Jesus, knowing that everything has been accomplished according to the scriptures, said, it has been accomplished. It is finished. He takes a survey of all that he's fulfilled and all that he's answered and all that was anticipated and all that was set forward in the scriptures of God's redemptive plan and God's redemptive work to draw sinful people back into relationship with himself. And then the Lord Jesus goes and dives into that great work and gives himself fully in order to redeem us from our sins. For this to take place first, all of the requirements of the law had to be kept by him so that he might establish us in his complete and other righteousness. Throughout his whole life, he meticulously fulfilled every measure of the law. Not one jot or tittle passed away from him without him fully addressing it in perfect sinlessness and righteousness. Scrupulously, he offered up to the Father at the cross all of his perfect righteousness. The law completely fulfilled in himself as it's required of us. But we've not fulfilled that law. We've broken it. We've sinned. And as a result, we've brought upon ourselves the punishment of that sin. A punishment that separates us from God. And a punishment that demands the requirement of our payment for that sin. The Lord Jesus in His perfect righteousness then enters into our sin and makes the payment for us and dies on our behalf and bears the sin that we've committed on Himself. And there He pays the price for our sins. 
in order that we might be redeemed and forgiven of that sin, in order that we might then, being redeemed and forgiven of that sin, might be established before God, covered, or receiving upon ourselves all of His righteousness. And the law is perfectly fulfilled in Him. And that great work is accomplished. It is completed. It is completely and totally finished in Himself. And so... 2 Corinthians 5.21 needs to be understood in light of this declaration of the Lord Jesus. He who knew no sin became sin for us. There he is making the payment for our sins. In order that we might become the righteousness of God in him. There he is giving us his perfect fulfilled righteousness according to the law. That righteousness which is required for anyone to enter into fellowship with God. And the Lord Jesus has provided it all for us. And he's telling it out with a shout of victory that it's accomplished. It's 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 finished. All through the Old Testament, we see the development of a system of worship that was established as the base that taught the people what was necessary for them to come into the presence of God. It was necessary that a sinless, perfect sacrifice be made on their behalf for their sinfulness, that a payment be made for yourself for your sins. And if there wasn't a payment made for yourself, a vicarious payment made in your place, a sacrifice in your place for your sins, and if that didn't take place, then you must... Pay for it yourself with your own life. And this was repeated over and over and over again in the various sacrifices and the various details and the intricate level in which this system was applied and carried out around the temple with its altar and with its sacrifices and with its priesthood and with its various ceremonies and the various types of sacrifices were made. It was demonstrating to them that it was an undertaking, a great, significant, intricate extensive undertaking to deal with their sin. Removing their sin from their life was not a trite thing or an easy thing. It wasn't accomplished by the wink of God's eyes. A holy God required an extensive work that thoroughly addressed all the ways in which sin had complicated their lives, in which sin had interfered with their relationship with others, and in which sin had interfered and removed them from a significant relationship with God. But that system was only taught. It was only a way in which it pointed to a requirement that the system itself could not fully deliver. It didn't deliver once for all what was needed. And so these rituals were repeated over and over and over again as an illustration that the challenge of sin still remained. The problem had not been fully addressed. They still had to look to God for an ultimate solution to the problem of their sin. In the temple... Between what was called the holy place and the most holy place was a veil or a curtain. On it were the images embroidered of two cherubim with great swords. You might remember when Adam and Eve sinned, they were driven out of the garden and at the face of the garden so they could not enter back into the presence of God where they had walked with God were placed two angels, two cherubim with flaming swords. And that experience and that reality is emblazoned on this veil that separates the holy place from the most holy place. And it is a veil representing the sin of the people and the consequence of that sin that it it guards them from coming into the presence of a holy God. If they went there, they would be consumed. They would sacrifice their lives. Just once a year, the high priest on the Day of Atonement was able to enter into that most holy place and there offer sacrifice for the people. And only then he could go having been covered by the blood of an innocent lamb that had suffered and been sacrificed. 
only go under the covering of the righteousness or the innocency or the purity of something that had suffered and died in the place of him and all the nation. It's again teaching the people that there was a great work that still had to be accomplished, that sin and the issue of sin had not been completely dealt with, that in all the sacrifice and everything that it offered, it had not been brought to its completion. It had not been finished. And yet in the moment when the Lord Jesus had finished his suffering, in the moment in which he is preparing to cry out, it is finished, it has been accomplished, Luke tells us that the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. And everything had been done and fulfilled. And everything had been removed so that we could have our sins completely forgiven. The debt had been paid for all that we had done, received by Jesus himself. The righteousness required to come into the presence of holy God had been bestowed upon us by him. And all who might receive what he had offered and all that received the gift that he made at that moment may embrace and find themselves alive in his victorious shout. It is finished. It has been accomplished. All that was anticipated was met in Jesus Christ. Before we sign off for this broadcast, I want to remind you of a ministry website that we've developed. It is testyourtestimony.com. Our concern is that there are many in our churches who do not have a true born-again relationship with Jesus Christ and so face the prospect of his rejection at the judgment seat in the last day. Our pity for these has made us develop the site testyourtestimony.com in order to apply the command of 2 Corinthians 13.5 to test ourselves to see whether we're in the faith. For now, I look forward to our next time partaking together of the bread of life. Till then, may God bless you.